Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. Friends, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We're continuing in God's Word tonight through Acts chapter 4. We are in our Acts series. We took a little pause last week in the Psalms. And this week we're picking it back up. This is our 11th installment of the Acts series. And the title for tonight's message is Four Powerful Gifts for Us to Advance the Kingdom. If you want to write that down in your notes, all you note takers out there. Four Powerful Gifts for Us to Advance the Kingdom. Because our God's a gift giver. He's got gifts for us. God never calls us to do something and then lets us go empty-handed into the mission. He's always, I mean, his first and most important gift was himself. He came to this earth 2,000 years ago in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he came for us. We're about to talk a lot about that Christmas time. That's when we really think about the incarnation. But I couldn't help but think about some gifts that I've received. And the first gift I ever, I remember, see, I'm not, I'm not a very handy guy. I'm not. I'm going to fess up tonight. I'm not handy at all. I don't fix things. I find new ways to break them once they're already broken. And then I end up going to Home Depot like eight times. And then I just get really uh, angry and my faith is tested. And it's just, it's, just kind of a, it's just kind of a tough scene. But I remember the first gift I ever received as far as a tool goes. And it was this right here. And this is a? This, this is a tape measure. Yeah. And... This is probably the most important tool that I have in my house. Because no matter what project I do, I have to measure something. I have to pull this out, and I have to see how long, how wide, how deep. I have to do that before I can engage any sort of project. There's also something else that I received. I never knew what this was growing up. I didn't know what this big red thing was with all these cool, I thought it was just a cool bubble toy. I thought it was a game, like you're just trying to get it in the middle. But then a friend told me, who is actually handy, his name's Jordan, uh, that uh, Jordan is very handy, by the way, uh, and he'll fix all your stuff for free. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, but Jordan's a huge blessing. Yeah, um, Jordan has taught me a lot about tools. And this is a level, in case you're new to the level. It makes sure things are level. Yeah, and this, this bubble right here, if it's level, it's going to be in the middle. And so I could eyeball it, and I did for a long time, until I started using a level. And then things started actually being built correctly, and they lasted a lot longer because they were done correctly. There's one gift, though. This one really made all the difference in the world. And when I got married, I did not have one of these. And I did not know that if you're getting married, free marriage advice, um, you need a drill. Okay, because she's going to want to hang a lot of curtains. And you need a drill to hang some curtains. I didn't know that curtains were even hung. I just thought you just kind of tape them up there. And I found out really quick uh, when we were renting our double-wide trailer for $250 a month out in Hepzibah, Georgia, that we were going to need to put up some curtains. And so I started using this drill a lot. And I still use it a lot. I have all kinds of attachments for it now. I don't know what half of them do, but I have them. These are all gifts, instruments, tools that help us get the job done. 
they help us advance whatever mission we're on, whether it's hanging curtains, fixing a hole in the wall that your boys uh, punched in the wall because they were playing football in their room. That happened to somebody. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I've just heard of it happening before. Um, I have three boys. It happened to us more than once. Um, no matter what project you're working on, God gives us what we need to advance his mission. And God's given us the gift, his number one gift. Like I said, his name is Jesus. But another great gift we're going to really hit on is his strengthening grace. God has given us grace, not only to save us from our sins, we talk about that a lot, but to empower us to advance the kingdom. And in the book of Acts, that's what they were trying to do. Jesus was building his church. They were advancing the kingdom. And so we're going to read this entire passage together, and then we're going to look at these four gifts. Let's read Acts chapter 4, verse 13 together. And this is what God's word says. When they observe the boldness of Peter and John and realize that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you, Rather than to God, you decide. For we're unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. God, I pray that as we examine these gifts, these power tools that you've given us, empowered by your spirit. Lord, I pray that everyone in the room would pick one or two or hopefully all of them to embrace and to apprehend so that we can be effective on mission, just like Peter and John, just like the apostles, just like the early church were effective for your kingdom and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, our first gift tonight we're going to take a look at. Our first one is this, astonishing boldness. Astonishing boldness. Write that down this evening. And this isn't a gift like my level or my tape measure. This isn't a material thing you can buy from Home Depot. Astonishing boldness, it's a marker of the Spirit of God at work. And it shows up in all of our lives when we find ourselves saying and doing things we never thought we would do. And guys, I experience this every single day of my Christian walk. I, am, I have been keenly aware multiple times today as I've been serving the Lord throughout the day. I was at another uh, area church this morning uh, trying, trying to strengthen them and bless them and getting to lead worship for them this morning in Evans, just right, right up the road. And the Lord just 
supplied an astonishing boldness over and over and over again outside of myself. I found myself saying things that, that were based on his authority, not my own. You follow me? We find ourselves banking on his promises and we say things with such an authoritative certainty if we're not careful, it, it, it makes us feel prideful sometimes, right? When we speak confidently. But see, we've confused arrogance and confidence. Arrogance is self-serving. Arrogance is pride. Arrogance is the devil. That's his number one quality. He thought he could rebel against God. He led one-third of the angelic host to rebel against the Lord and fell from heaven like lightning. But this astonishing boldness, what was this? Let's look back in verse 13. Let's Let's look at this text again. When they, who is, who is they? Remember last week, or two weeks ago rather, Peter and John were getting interrogated. They were, they were fiercely interrogated by the Sanhedrin. So these were 71 folks. They were Pharisees, Sadducees, but it was also the high priest. And then there was this mob crew. Remember us talking about them a couple weeks ago? Uh, it, was, it was like the, the ex-high priest and then his brother and all, the, all these other people really shouldn't have been there at all. And so it was like this mock trial. And they were getting grilled. And they were asking Peter and John, who do you guys think you are? Who do you think, what authority do you think you have? And what was their answer? It's not us. It's all Jesus. Our authority is in him. Why, well, remember a, a few weeks ago, when Peter responded this way, what are you guys looking at? After the miracle, after he healed the lame beggar, he says, why are you guys looking at me? Like I did something great. It's all Jesus. And so this astonishing boldness, they observed the boldness of Peter and John. Let's keep going and realized, what did they realize, friends? That they were two things. Let's read it together. Uneducated and untrained men. Wow. Okay, so let's unpack that for a second. This does not mean that they could not read and write, for we know that the opposite of that is true. What the text is saying here is two specific things. One, these are regular dudes, your average Joes. The second thing, they had not had any formal seminary training like the Sanhedrin had. So they were not religious professionals. These were fishermen who got a chain, who had, who, who had a couple of things in common. We're going to get to those in just a second, but let's keep going to 14. Since they saw the man who had been healed standing with him, they had nothing to say in, what's that last word? Opposition. And what do, what do we say from the very beginning? What is promised when the kingdom of God advances? What is, what is assured? Opposition. And in fact, opposition is often the sign of kingdom advancement. Let's take a look at this Greek word for boldness. Underline that word boldness in, in your Bible in verse 13. If your text says boldness or if you're in a different translation, whatever, uh, you might have courage, um, a different word there. But boldness is in most of your translations. And the original word here, this word right here is parasia. Everybody say that. Parasia. Parasia is a Greek word that means freedom of speech or confidence or really how it was used, it meant that you were so bold and confident that you felt completely free to speak. Have you been there before? You might call this 
that moment where you say, all right, I'm going to speak my mind. And sometimes those are not good occasions and we shouldn't speak our mind. But the, we've, we've all experienced that, right? Where you felt the freedom to speak your mind and it was appropriate to do so. And you stood up and you did that. If you haven't had a moment like that, let me promise you, God can help you with that. God can give you that boldness and confidence. And it's not rooted in some kind of pride in us. Oh yeah, let me, let me tell you like it is. No, this is, this is rooted in the grace of God. And so we have this parasia, freedom, openness. And that is what they noted. They did not notice anything about these disciples but that. There was an unusual courage in them. It got their attention. They spoke with authority, like we said, Jesus' authority. The apostles appealed to Jesus' authority all the time. The apostle Paul did the same thing. He had to validate himself. A lot of, there were a lot of Paul haters in the New Testament as he writes letters to churches. A lot of people saying, oh no, don't listen to Paul. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And Paul says, no, you don't understand. I'm an apostle by Christ Jesus. It's his authority. And what do we do, Christians in the room? Same thing. We appeal to the authority of Jesus. If we say something that is advancing the kingdom or that is sharing our faith or sharing God's truth and somebody doesn't like it, we can, we can lovingly encourage them to take it up with Jesus because we're just saying what he said. We're not making it up. We're not being creative. But there were two specific things. Write, write these down tonight. There were two specific things that they noticed. Number one, these men knew the scriptures. Have you seen that yet in Acts? Like they're quoting scripture like crazy, especially, especially Peter. When Peter preaches, he's preached how many sermons so far? Two, right? And then he responds in chapter four. And every time he speaks, it's not just what Peter says. He says, remember back when David said this? Remember back when this prophet said that? Remember when Jesus said that? I mean, he's always pointing back to God's word. And so the number one thing about Peter and John that we need to notice is that they knew the word of God. The second thing is this. This is huge. They spent time with Jesus. They spent time with the Lord. And let me encourage you tonight, friends, if you want to serve the Lord well, and I know many of you do, if you want the boldness and confidence to make a difference in this world for the name of Jesus, to push back the darkness, to win more loss to Christ, if you want to make a dent in this world for the Lord, you must spend time with Jesus. You must spend time with Jesus. And that's not some, that's not some uh, crushing expectation we place upon anybody. This is just foundational. Our relationship with God is what makes us right with God. It's what, it's, it's what he did. He, he died on the cross for us. He rose again that we would be in relationship with him. And so you cannot be in relationship with someone that you are not spending time with. And did they have a relationship with Jesus? Absolutely. They lived with him for three years. They, they followed him. It was a daily discipleship. And that is the same thing that we must embrace. Here's a second gift tonight. Write this down. Undeniable evidence. Undeniable evidence. Let's look at verse 15 together. Back at verse 15. After they, that's the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they ordered them to leave. They conferred among themselves. They have a private meeting. Verse 16 says, what should we do with these men? You know what happened 
they were frustrated. They didn't know what to do with these Christians because they were so bold and so courageous, so obnoxious. They wouldn't shut up about Jesus and they would not listen to them at all. They were persistent and they were full of faith. And what does, what does darkness say in a moment like that? We don't know what to do. And that's our goal as a church, as a people of God as Christians, to frustrate the enemy to where Satan goes to tempt you or I and said, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with Kathy. I've tried this. I've tried that. I don't know what to do. This girl is so bold and courageous. I mean, you know, that is, that, that is what is happening here. And that is my prayer for each and every one of us, that we would frustrate the kingdom of darkness. For an obvious sign, look back at the text, for an obvious sign had been done through them, clear to everyone in Jerusalem. And here we go. We cannot deny it. Can't deny it. Undeniable evidence. What are we going to do with these Christians? We cannot deny it. So what's the undeniable evidence? A couple things, a couple key things. The first one, this is the hinge point of the Christian Faith, and it is the empty tomb. It's the empty tomb. We sang this song last week. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. We sang that song last week. I could not help but think of that song as I was preparing the message. This was the apostles in the early church's constant testimony. They were constantly referring to the, to the resurrection of Christ. If Christ was not raised, it would have been so easy to disprove. Have you ever thought about that? If he wasn't raised, if they had a body, they would have just said, look, here he is. We have his body. He didn't rise again from the grave. But they didn't do that because the tomb was empty. And guess what, friends? Amidst this war-torn side of the world that we're praying for, that is under a lot of stress right now, heartbreak and tragedy and war is broken out, that tomb is still empty over there. And Christ is still victorious. And God is still moving in that same land. An empty grave is still there to prove that Jesus lives. But it would have been so easy to disprove. The Sanhedrin would have wasted no time in doing so. After all, Joseph of Arimathea, who bought the tomb, he wasn't a nobody. People knew where the tomb was. Stealing the body was an impossibility. We talk about the different theories that people have. Remember they started making stuff up. At, in the, at the end of the Gospels, they said, well, just, we'll just say somebody stole the body. They started making up all these conspiracies. That would have been impossible. The Romans made sure that was absolutely impossible. There's no way that they could have stolen the body, as the Jewish leaders claimed. And the eyewitness accounts of the Gospel writings are trustworthy. They really are. If you dig into it, you see these are guys, two particularly of the four Gospel writers, they were direct eyewitnesses. They hung out with Jesus. They saw him raised. And these gospels are trustworthy. Eyewitness accounts of the risen Savior. Listen to what Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes a letter to Corinth. It's at the end of, the, at the end of his first letter to them. We're just going to read these seven verses together. Let's put these verses up here, Ashley. Let's, let's put uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7. Yeah, there we go. Now I want to make 
clear for you. Did you hear Paul's heart? I want to make something clear for you. So what's he want to say? Brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. And what is that? Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to how many? Are we awake? How many? It's y'all's turn. 500, thank you. So over, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. That was his way of saying, you can go and ask him. And that's what Jesus did during his 40 days. He, he appeared to them and to them, and he made his presence known. But some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So our undeniable evidence begins with an empty grave, friends. And we can have confidence in that. An empty, an empty grave is there to prove our Savior lives. Not only that, but miracles. I, the book of Acts is filled with miracles. Why? Why were, why were there so many miracles in Acts? Well, God was using signs and wonders, specifically in Acts, to establish the credibility of the early church. That's the simplest way to understand that. Christianity wasn't even seen as a separate thing at this time. It was seen as a Jewish sect, just, just another branch off, an offshoot of Judaism. God intended to establish the credibility of the bride of Christ, and he did so through these miracles. Now, does God still do miracles today? The answer is yes, he does. Does he do miracles in the exact, in the exact same ways that we see in the book of Acts? It seems as though God does things a little different, doesn't he? And we may not see the exact same miracles in the exact same ways, but that's not really the point, is it? The point is, he's the same God. We just sang it. He's the same God. A God of miracles, of signs and wonders. Now, the Sanhedrin had a catch-22 on their hands and all the other accusers' presence. They broke no law. The disciples didn't break any law, yet it wasn't to the Sanhedrin and posse's advantage to send them away to teach and heal in the name of Jesus. They were just going to stir up more, more, more commotion. And honestly, what was really going on, they, they were scared that, that Christianity, as it were, was detracting from their power and influence. It was the same with Jesus, right? When Jesus was doing signs and wonders, when he was healing people, when he was preaching the good news about the kingdom, he said, this guy's, this guy's stealing our thunder. In many ways, it was a financial hindrance to them. It was about money, power, uh, clout. It was about control. And so, their solution? More threats. More threats, more bullying. But you know what it was in reality, friends? Nothing. Threats, okay. David puts it this way in Psalm 118.6. He says, what can mere man do to me? Think about that for a second. I mean, threats are not fun. Have you ever been threatened? I have. It's, it's, not, it's not a good feeling. <laughs> I've been threatened. You've been threatened. It's not fun at all. But really, what does that do in actuality? Not a whole lot. It's just talk. 
It's just talk. And they weren't going to do anything. They've already, sh- they've already shown that they're scared of people, that they have fear of man issues. And I'm just here to remind us tonight that that's all the enemy really has. Let me just encourage you. That's all that Satan really has, just empty threats against you, just dis- discouragement. Because what did we say a second ago? The empty grave is proof that he's already lost. The devil's already lost. Jesus and the devil are not duking it out. This is no yin and yang, good, good and evil, cos, uh, you know, cosmos battle. And we'll see one day if, if good or evil works. No, no, no. Jesus has already won the victory. That's what Paul writes later in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. He says, but thanks be to the Lord. Jesus has won the victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? We sing it in worship songs, and we must remember it tonight. That's all Satan has, empty threats. He's already won. Death, darkness, shame, guilt, disease, defeated. And we can trust in God as he moves in the hearts and lives of people and creates more undeniable evidence that the opposition can't deny. Let's go to our third gift tonight. Let's, let's move on to driven obedience. This one's so key. Driven obedience. And obedience is, obedience is an interesting concept sometimes, especially as we presented it in the church. How do we tend to think about obedience? Like a crushing weight of expectation put upon those who belong to Jesus. When you belong to Jesus, now you must obey. But guys, obedience isn't something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Yes, God is our master, but this isn't legalism. Are you guys familiar with that term, legalism? It's where you over, you you're so bent up on obedience that you actually overapply a truth. Did you know you could do that? That, that you can have something that's true and you can overapply it. So what does legalism say? If it's not done exactly this way, exactly, I mean, it's what the Pharisees did. It's what Jesus, Jesus was railing on the Pharisees all the time. He says, you guys just don't get it. It's not about the outside, it's about the inside. So what are we getting at here in this driven obedience? Can we can we read these next couple of verses together? We've, we've read them already, but I want to get us back in. So what did Peter and John say to these empty threats, to these bully tactics? Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, will you decide? For we're unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So what did Peter and John say? We were made to live for an audience of one. That's essentially what they say. We are living for an audience of one. We don't care what you guys think about it. We just want to glorify God. And he's the only one's opinion that really matters. And we're living like, like he's watching us 24-7 and we just want to please him. To please God and disappoint man. You cannot do both. Jesus said we can't serve two masters, did he not? Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. You either love the one or hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money in that passage, but you cannot serve both God and make another thing or person into God. That's idolatry. And so they say, we're going to live for God. 
they, they invite them to judge, which was kind of a poke at them. It was self-evident they should listen to God instead of man. But Peter made an effective appeal to this truth, that we're going to listen to God. But verse 20 shows us that the engine of their evangelism was experience. I'll say that one more time. Verse, verse 20, as we just read it, we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. The engine of their evangelism was experience. What did they say? This is not a philosophy. This is not some cerebral exercise. This is not some blog I read. We saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. We watched him. He watched us. He, we were with him. This is how John starts out 1 John. I know several of you ladies are studying through 1 John as a group right now. How did John start it out, ladies, in the prologue? What we have seen, what we have heard. Does that sound familiar? What we have touched with our hands. I mean, this is entirely sensory. He says, we speak the things we've seen and heard. Can I challenge us in the room for a second? If you're a follower of Jesus, do we testify about how we have experienced Jesus? And yes, I know there are many religions and many cults that, that testify on experience alone. And we do not testify on experience alone. Let me clarify that. We testify, first and foremost, on the truth. On the truth. Because truth is truth. <laughs> no matter your experience. But if you have really met Jesus and really have been saved by him and he's given you a new heart and you've been born again, then you have experienced Jesus. And I am one before you tonight that can say definitively, I have experienced his life-changing power. I am not the man that I used to be. And I've never gotten over that fact. 15 years later, after walking with Jesus for 15 years, I got saved when I was 20. I experienced Jesus. He messed me up. Messed me up in a good way. He called me to driven obedience. Now I've been changed by the word, and I pray that you've been changed by the word. And some of you are going to be changed by the word tonight because you're going to have an opportunity to take that first step with the Lord Jesus. They say, we can't Stop speaking. We must speak of the things we've seen. This is an inner compulsion of the Holy Spirit. This is that boldness. This is that original word we talked about. It's just the overflow. I've got, if I don't do this, I'm going to explode. When Jesus comes into your life and heart, you can't help but obey. And what is this driven obedience? It's just like the drill over here. It comes from a power beyond itself. Apart from the driving power of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say in John 15? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, but with the Spirit of God. You can do all things through Christ Jesus. A driven obedience. Not a reluctant obedience, not an obligatory obedience, but a driven obedience. Amen? Final gift. Write this down tonight. Dynamic worship. Dynamic worship. I'm so thankful for Garrett and his leadership and our worship team. 
and their leadership each and every week. We have dynamic worship in this house, amen, every week. And we all engage in that together. And we're going to talk about that now. Let's do these last two verses together. Let's check out what God's word says about dynamic worship. After threatening them further, like we said, just these empty threats, they ended up releasing them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For the sign of this healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. So why couldn't the opposition stand? Why? Worship. Intellect is not our weapon against Satan, against darkness. It's not intellect. Effort, willpower, nope. It's worship. Everything rises and falls on this Christian journey with worship. Privately, at home, in your prayer closet or your office or your kitchen table or wherever you spend time with Jesus in your devotion life and publicly when we gather together in this room just like we're fixing to do now we're gonna we're gonna stand and sing in just a moment but genuine worship was breaking out they couldn't stop what was doing God worked and moved and people lifted up their voices to exalt God and praise for what he has done and friends that's what we do every week again like we say often this is not Christian karaoke we are not just here to sing together and wow that was fun we sang together no we're testifying of what God has done and we read these lyrics and we remember what he's done in our life and we connect with him on a heartfelt level and we remember how he's changed us. And even if you feel far from God in the room tonight, this is a picture, the lyrics are a picture of what God could do in your life and can do in your life. And you're invited to that each and every time. So the lyrics that we sing are for everyone to embrace. They're based on the word of God. We don't sing anything at Anchor Church not based on the word of God. We're putting truth on our lips to lift up to the Lord. He has given us and audacity, boldness, undeniable evidence, the Spirit's power to help us with driven obedience that overflows into dynamic worship. So are you ready to worship Him dynamically? What do you mean by that? It means that we worship Him like we have been changed, like we are oozing with gratitude, like the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And what does the Spirit of God do? What does He do? He regularly testifies about the Son, the Scripture tells us. He cries out, Abba, Father. He wells up inside of us. And this is where the filling, the overflow of the Spirit happens. And we just sing our hearts out to Him. So can we stand together, friends? Can we stand tonight? And we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, every heart in the room. Maybe we've been going through the motions in our worship, Lord. And maybe it's time for some of us just to embrace that boldness and freedom we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. Hmm. That, cur- that courageous worship that we sang about a few moments ago. 
God, I pray that every heart in the room would just overflow with love. For you say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You say to worship in spirit and in truth. God, help us apprehend these gifts we've talked about tonight. Help us lay hold of them. Lord, we know it does no good to receive a gift if we won't receive it. If we won't pick up that gift and use it. Shake us out of our comfort zone, Lord. Move us beyond where we are into what you have for us along this journey. God, I pray that if anyone does not know you tonight, that they would know that they can open up their heart to you right now. For your word says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, if there's anyone in the room that would acknowledge that they have sinned before God, but they would ask for your grace and forgiveness tonight, that they would repent of their sin and place their faith in you, Jesus, that they would do it right now by talking to you, not through a formula, but just an honest, heartfelt prayer just says, God, I need you. Jesus, will you come into my life and rule and reign in my life as Lord and the Savior who has saved me from my sin. We invite anyone tonight that needs to take that next step to follow Jesus. Just say yes to him. Don't wait until tomorrow, until next week. It's not pressure. That's just an encouragement. It's an encouragement not to put off for today what, what God desires. The Bible says that He desires all should repent and be saved. So give your life to Christ tonight. And then, Lord, for those that have given their lives to Christ, stir in us, well up in us, a deeper love for you and a dynamic worship that is explosive. And we raise the roof on this place testimonies of grace. It's in all in Jesus' name we pray. All of this lifted up in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing together, please. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.